Hey everybody, this is Ben Kesnoka, co-founder and partner at Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is our podcast, where we go deep on all things business and technology with world-leading experts. Hello, everybody. I am Olga Sugievich, the Head of Investor Relations at Village Global. I am pleased to introduce my guest today, David Bomer. He is a founder and CEO at Banff, a tech-enabled talent management advisory firm for executives, investors, corporations, and their networks. Prior to founding Banff, David spent 20 years in the executive search industry, where he led the global financial services practice and built fintech practice at Hydric and Struggles. In today's conversation, we will discuss the talent intermediation industry, its evolution, and what supply and demand side of the equation should know about finding the right partner. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Olga. So awesome to be here. Let's start with the evolution of the talent intermediation industry. Can you please walk us through the landscape of players and business models as you see it and the recent innovation in the industry? Sure. And and we, we sort of just refer the broad sort of as gatekeepers, right? Those that allow access to information and opportunities and such. I mean, this, I was kind of laughing at this evolution because the reality is it really hasn't changed much. And this is since the 1950s when executive search and executive recruiting really got formalized. Um, so if you think about right now, you as an individual, uh, you getting a call, a shot at something, whether it's a board role, advisor role, exec role, an investment, being a mentor, whatever it might be, you know, the opportunities in the middle. You've got a series of gatekeepers that could be search professionals, headhunters, recruiters, investors sort of around it. They decide who gets access. And then you've got talent to the outside looking in. And then think about underrepresented talent or non-standard talent that's even further the outside looking in. And to me, just you always hear the stories about someone meeting someone else in an airport bar or a conference, these moments of chance that influence their career. Um, to some, that might be a great story. Let's be honest, to me, that's always been a horror story. Like, I, I hate that. The, the basic says, you know, you're a white male who was on a business trip, who met, met another white male on a business trip, and therefore you had this great opportunity. And, um, you know, at some point, I, I took a step back and counted my prior life executive search. I had six placements that were made because someone accidentally picked up the phone thinking it was their spouse. Um, now, I know that dates me a little bit. There's a work phone's pre-caller ID, but still, that, that, that much chance influenced your career, which is bonkers to me. Um, and so you think about innovation in the space, it's to my mind, and I know I'm simplifying things, but it's been really about sort of paper matching. You know, let's build algorithms that match resumes with specs or profiles, but that's not how the world works. I mean, if you kind of do the back of the napkin framework of why you do or don't get calls for something or get into a room, it's based on your brand. So what are you known as? And forget about 10 second blank. I mean, this is one second. You're a CFO, you're a CRO, you're this, you're that. That's just how people categorize you're that. That's just how people categorize that, right? Who knows you? And then third, how are you thought of? What's your reputation? You know, this becomes a game of, I hate to say it, a hot or not sometimes of, you know, someone whispers to someone else, she's good. Then someone else says she's good or he's good. And then suddenly you're good and you're on the list. You're on the good list. And, and that's how that world, the world really works. And that all is superhuman centric. It's all happening in rooms where you're not. Um, and technology can help with some of that, but not all of it. This is very human centric. So it's still an industry that very much depends on people who are not paid to take risks, um, make decisions on whether or not you get an opportunity. That makes sense. And you mentioned earlier that 
it's it's all about your brand, right? And where do you have audience and who knows you? So where is that brand determined, right? In some of the industries, for example, in VC, a lot of people spend a lot of time on Twitter, right? But that may not be relevant in, in a lot of other industries or sectors. So let's let's make it very broadly. You know, if if you are, let's say, a person with a specific skill set, you're a world-class CFO. How should you think about your brand? Where should you be building it? Yeah. So, I mean, first, the, the adage of put your head down, work hard, it'll all work out, you'll get discovered. I mean, throw that out. So just completely throw that out. Um, we do think, you know, managing your career proactively the same way, you know, you save before you need the money, right? We always think, I wish I'd started saving 10 years ago so I could, this is all about managing a relationship, managing a brand, managing your reputation. So a super basic level, and I hate to admit this, but your LinkedIn profile matters. It, it sucks. I mean, it's so simple. It's ridiculous. But at a lot of these gatekeepers, you've got a 25-year-old researcher deciding whether or not you get on a call list or not. And I know because I was the 25-year-old researcher, and I did not feel comfortable that I was the person deciding who got calls. And, and that's simple as you know, being able to articulate properly what you've done, who you are, what box you want the reader to put you in. Certainly, it's how people talk about you or how you talk about yourself. So what is your pitch? You know, that's sort of like the dinner pitch or the you know, old guy come and call you say, hey, listen, if you ever got a call for something, can you make sure to give my name? I have to equip you with the two or three bullets. Like what makes me stand out? What makes someone remember? Oh, he's good for this. He's good for lines. How you speak about yourself. Everyone's a transformational leader. Everyone's a change manager. That does nothing, right? Think about human nature. Think about how we sort of think of others and remember people. So it's how you talk about yourself. And then honestly, it's being seen in action. So it is rare for an investor to put you on a board, bring you as an advisor, bring you as an operating executive if they've never seen you in action. Incredibly difficult. You know, I used to, when I was in search doing work for early stage VC-backed companies, I remember actually sort of organizing dinners and galas where I purposely had people sit together because I knew they needed to get to know each other for down the road, right? It was too hard to, to do it cold. Uh, and so building your brand is basics, like make sure the right stuff's out there because decisions are made about your LinkedIn all the time, how you talk about yourself, how others talk about you in really relevant and useful ways, and then starting to build relationships. I know people hate networking. It has this dirty sort of connotation. It's node building. It's relationship building. Who are the key search people in my area? Who are the key investors in my area? Who are the people that get all the calls that I want to be getting? How do I get in that flow? So being really thoughtful about so that node building, but in an effective way, um, not the old school networking. Yep, that's great. And so let's go back to the to the idea that there hasn't actually been that much evolution in the industry. And this is a perfect segue into my next question. So tell us about Banff. What is it? How and when you started it? Why? And how is it different from everything else that's out there in the market? I have a terrible sketch, and I'm just not a good writer, but it's in one of our decks of this river. And I always view people's careers. You're in this river, and the momentum that's pulling you down is your your networks, the people you grew up with, went to school with, that work around you, your reputation. Like, what do you know as I'm a CFO, I'm an accountant, I'm a trader. And you can float down this river and you can wake up 20, 30 years later, make good money and had a good career. And like nothing wrong with that. But I always thought, well, what are you floating by? Like, what what don't you know that was on either side? You know, if I take that analogy further, what was I'm in this river, but the river three rivers away. And I think, you know, so much of our careers, I believe anyway, depend on what year did you graduate? You know, I graduated 2000, 2001. I got the first job I could get that would get me a work visa. Turns out I ended up in recruiting, right? And then you wake up 20 years later and think, 
oh, I'm a recruiter, now what? Or I'm an accountant or whatever it might be. And so what we really want to do at BAMP is, is there a way to flip the model? Is there a way that actually we could put talent at the center of that picture and actually have talent, you know, have control, have the, have the steering wheel, so to speak? Um, we've got this thing we say all the time that a life's impact is too important to be left a chance. Like, how do we actually allow you to be purposeful in your career and plan for that and actually affect it? So what BAMP is, is sort of, we sort of, there's not a term, we're making up this category. I think it sits somewhere between a Hollywood agent for, you know, execs through to a private banker for your career, somewhere in that spectrum. Um, we're putting talent at the center of that. Talent owns a path. They have the data. They have someone working for them. It's very purposely a B2C business. So we work for the talent. We're in the kitchen in a way that they've never been. And, you know, there's times where a mirror, this is what the world thinks of you, whether it's right or wrong. That's what you know, we're telling them the truth, probably for, for, for the first time. Uh, sometimes we're sort of a guide, taking that river guide analogy a bit too far, and how do you get here? And sometimes we're just helping them explore life. So the, the big innovation, in a lot of ways, it's simple, is we're working for the talent now. And 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 we've built this ecosystem, I know we'll talk about that a bit later on, where everything flows in a more sort of thoughtful, mutually beneficial way. But on the range of different types of needs that the talent might be considering from, you know, finding their next opportunity to rather leveraging what they already know in a variety of ways, you know, advisory positions, positions, et cetera. So on that spectrum of potential talent paths, what do you focus on and what do you not focus on? So it's a great one. So we made the decision early on that we didn't want to build a job seeking business. We thought that A, that'd be too limiting, way too transactional, and just I don't know, just wouldn't be fun. I mean, my my dream ultimately is I wanted to go on a ride with people. We want to go on a ride with people throughout the different waves of their career. And so to use a sort of a rough analogy, one that's always in my mind, you know, if you want to make a trade, go to Robinhood. If you want an advisor and a partner, go to, you know, fill in the blank pedigree, like private bank. And that's that's kind of how we compare. We want to be the latter and, and no disrespect to the more transactional. And so early on, when we started BAMP, the reaction from people often was, hey, I'm not looking for a job. I don't need help. And, and it took a while to educate. No, no, this isn't about needing a job. This is about really affecting for down the road. And now we see that's really changed. So only 20% of our clients are actually looking for a role. Um, the other 80% are passively open, are looking at other paths, potentially getting to climb again to space. They're new in seats. We're helping really support them newly in roles. They're planning for five, 10 years out, how they build their brand now so they can do the things they want to be doing five, 10 years out. So it's really, I think the big transition for us, and it's been such a joy to see because it meant so much to what we were doing was it's no longer, I'm not looking for a job. I don't need Bath. It's, I care about my career and the impact I want to have. I want to have a partner. And that's where we come in. And are there certain sectors or functions that you particularly focus on where you spend most of the time and kind of help us to, um, to understand what what types of talent uh, are the right partners to be on your platform. The great news is that we found we provide value and honestly enjoy working with a broad set of executives across industry, function, uh, but certainly a focus on the senior most levels of organization. So first of all, and something incredibly important to us, 60% of our clients identify as underrepresented. That is a huge, huge value that we bring and something incredibly important to the firm. Uh, secondly, uh, in terms of industry, honestly, we have particular depth across technology, consumer and enterprise, uh, financial services and fintech, healthcare, consumer products, media, quite a bit around climate and food actually as well, with a number of other industries uh, represented across our client set. And then functionally, board, CEO, and then nearly every C uh, suite function within that. 
And uh, to put some numbers on this, because we track it quite a bit, so 12% of our clients right now are on the full-time board advisory side of their careers. 20% are current sitting CEOs. By the way, that could be a seed CEO right through a public company CEO. About 65% of our clients are right in that C-suite, you know, sort of prime moving up the rank side of their career. And then about 2 to 3% of our clients are early career. And that includes a lot of our pro bono work. So we do work with military transition uh, leaders. We do work with uh, people coming out of sports, a number of other areas where we feel um, the transition is particularly difficult and we want to help. Um, of our clients, about 52% are in private companies, about 48% public. So it's pretty balanced there. Uh, and then when you ask in terms of types that are best for us, I think what's true, especially early on in BAMP's sort of evolution, was that someone usually was thinking about a pivot or a change uh, to become a member, to become part of BAMP, to, to sort of be involved in that. Uh, if we fast forward now three years later, only about 20, 25% of our clients are actively seeking new opportunities. You know, and our goal as a firm is to build a long-standing relationship, so to be relevant to our executive clients throughout the cycles of their careers, not build a one-off transactional relationship. So we tend to categorize our clients across six sort of key personas or executive pathways, as we call them, and people move in and out and evolve within this. So there's a great deal of variance even within these six. Um, the active seeker, obvious one. The passive explorer, someone thinking, you know, is there something else? I don't know what it is. How should I think about it? How do I build for the thing in three, four, five years? Um, the aspiring board member or advisor, um, the network and expertise builder. So someone who's really leveraging us to learn in new industries, get exposed to new people, build out their networks. We often actually hear people going through 360 assessments where part of that is external network, external awareness is low on their score. And we help them actually build that out with some key targeted programs. And then new role leader, that is, you know, many of our clients have become, you know, new CEOs, new C-suite leaders in the last couple of years and how how do we support them in that new role and have you seen any of the differences in how these different groups of um, executives interact with your platform their needs or sort of ways to engage um, and involve them between these different categories yeah a couple of things i think and it's changed over time I and mean, this is a new thing for a lot of people you know most people haven't invested in themselves in this way you know we're, we're sort of creating it we are creating a new category and so understanding how to use networks, understanding how to use a partner beyond just the transactional. So one thing I, I love um, is people using the fact they've got a partner to completely rethink their careers. You know, I've spent 20 years in this particular industry and, and just sort of hoping I might bump into something, but I've actually always wanted to get into climate. I mean, there, there are very few actually like this. Um, uh, very, there's quite a few, pardon me, like this. And how now can I use Banff and all the access to actually do an exploration, spend the six months discovering new industries, discovering new areas I would never have ever tripped into, sort of testing hypotheses what I might find interesting, and then pivot on that, move to climate, move to food, move to sports, move to space industry. So we're finding quite a few clients, and we love it. It's a blast leveraging us to complete pivots. We have pivots. I mean, jumping like four rivers over. We take that analogy um, further. So that's been fascinating. Um, we've talked, I mean, we're very direct and open about issues and factors around gender and ethnicity. And uh, I certainly found early on, like we, our clients now, 60% of our clients uh, identify as underrepresented, and we're thrilled by that. And about 65% of our clients are referred by others. That didn't happen in 2020 when I started this thing, right? It was um, a lot of white males. It was, it was existing networks. And we worked really hard 
to ensure we had a diverse group of, of clients. And, you know, we found that things were different. Sales cycle, you know, few women, and, and again, I'll speak openly and plainly, is like, you know, were used to investing themselves or fewer than men. It was it was a harder conversation. It took longer. You know, we never heard uh, a potential male prospect say, well, I want to talk to my spouse about that. Heard that quite a bit from our female prospects. And so we just adapted to how do you, how do you give people a taste? How do you bring them on slowly? And, and what's fascinating now is, you know, we have an amazing group, for example, of female uh, leaders for our clients, and they are some of the best sponsors of, you know, of Banff, of referring other women. And as I mentioned, we're now well over 60% underrepresented in our client group. So one of the things um, that you did earlier in your career was build out fintech practice um, at Hydrogen Struggles. And I've always found this um, to be a very interesting area, right? Where usually when you recruit people to work in fintech, it requires a lot of domain expertise, right? And so you start mm-hmm. looking at sort of traditional financial services industry, which culturally, both of those industries are quite different. So what are some of your takeaways around, you know, people who maybe were very successful in the traditional financial services industry, but which ones of those actually become very successful in fintech? What are some of your reflections from, from that transition and building out that practice? Oh, this is fun. I mean, back, I remember we did research years and years ago to try to predict, and I got to go back and remember, remember all the factors. We were to try to predict what would make it more likely that someone coming from a large institution, categorizing simply, would succeed in a smaller one. And that could be fin, fin to fintech, you know, big tech to small tech, whatever it might be. And we actually went through, and I think we ended up analyzing 500 individuals who had made that transition, did a rough, you were successful, you weren't successful, and then had hypotheses about what would cause or how we could predict that. Um, built a few models, actually passed it through probably many of our VC partners at the time and, and sort of friends, the VC world, private equity as well, had them react to it. And you're going to make me dig this up because it was really fascinating. And, you know, big part, there were things, you know, we talk about agility and grit and, and all these sort of factors that are sort of soft factors, but you can you can detect some in people's backgrounds. We created a scoring grid at the time, and we use that quite often even now when we think about someone's ability, they might say they want to go to a fintech, but you spent 20, 30 years at this big company. Like, let's let's have that conversation openly. And there were predictive qualities, obvious ones. If someone had done big company and small company before successfully, all right, that's fine. That's obvious. But there are things around, you know, moving functions. So you had to learn new functions, moving business group within a large company. So you had to learn something from scratch. Obviously, size of teams, having some modulation in the size of teams, doing something internationally. Again, we had to test and rethink your approach to problems. Found quite a bit, especially in the fintech space, uh, someone's proximity to engineering and product, the closer they've been to engineering product in the large companies, the more likely they would be successful in, in the smaller sort of fintech environment. And quite often, you know, we, we just ah, were honest, we're just, you're not ready. You can't make that move. That's not a jump. Let's take a half jump first. So we fast forward to Banff today, um, two years back, Obviously, the fintech world has changed somewhat in this last few months, but two years back, had several clients saying, I want to do early stage. I want to go into the early stage fintech space. Um, and one of the one of the things we promise at Banff is we'll always be direct, we'll always be honest, because we want you to build your career strategy based on direct market perception. And this particular individual is getting no calls, no calls, absolutely no calls. And we looked at that framework. We said, well, listen, your brand's right. LinkedIn looks good. How you talk about yourself looks good. It's all great. We looked at the network. We've shared you with all the right search people. We've shared you with all the right investors. There must be something else in that reputation bucket. And so actually we were able to call, you know, a half dozen, a dozen of the key search and investors in the space 
and asked them honestly, you know, why does this person not get calls for early stage things? And they gave us direct feedback. And it was very specific to, you know, this individual that came from two or three very traditional backgrounds, traditional banks, no founders wanted to hire from that. And so we pivoted our strategy to get into a non-traditional area, spend two, three years there, and now he's attracted to the fintech world again. And so I think that um, there's a path that you can make the jump, but I think it's important to kind of understand why you are getting the calls and then and then sort of shape your, your background, shape your experiences to that. I've always found the topic of career transitions to be absolutely fascinating. Um, I've done it a few times and it's, uh, you know, when, when you move to a different industry, a different sector, and you sort of go through this exercise of finding your own product market fit there, right? Yeah. It can be a uh, pretty challenging, but ultimately incredibly rewarding experience. <laughs> and it just gives you so much more sense of the agency. But there's also, you know, but, but it's not straightforward, right? So let's say when some of your friends come to you and they start to think about it, what is the first thing that you tell them? And this is, I think the challenge of the current ecosystem is one, do you know what people actually think of you? Do you actually have the real answer on that? It is so hard to get direct feedback, right? People aren't like direct, uncomfortable, messy feedback, especially women, especially people of color. People are scared to get to give direct feedback. So I think the first thing is, do you actually understand how what the world thinks of you? Whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. It's market perception. Do you know what that is? Do you know what people think your strengths are, your weaknesses? Is there feedback out there that's outdated that you've actually grown past that's still out there? Because remember, people go check you out. They find out. So one is, yeah. I think, absolutely, do you have a crystal clear view? Does And in some ways, it doesn't matter what you think. I hate to say that. It's what the market thinks of you. These people were actually deciding whether or not you get a shot. That'd be one. I think two is go discover. I mean, it's I think the chance to... You know, if you've been successful, I know Morgan Housel talks all like the, the point of wealth is be able to control your own calendar. Um, and so use that time to go discover, discover things that, what do you read? We have our clients actually go on their YouTube, Google search history, books they read, and just tell us things they clearly on the weekends are interested in space, astrophysics, climate, sports, whatever it might be. And then we just get them out there. We get them going on dates, right? And so as you think about the pivot, one is, are you crystal clear what people think of you? Because that's super important. Two is get out there and date, for lack of better words, and put together a bit of a fitness plan. You know, it's like training for a marathon. You have a certain schedule. You know, do you hold yourself to, I'm going to do one date a week, right? One half hour date a week with someone completely outside of my industry. And just start building those nodes broadly um, to get educated on what is interesting. My guess is what you think might be interesting as a leap right now actually isn't the right. You need to go and take those paths of discovery. Um, and then once you find something that really gets your passion and your interest and you can see where sort of opportunity and expertise match with your, your passion, then you double click, right? Then you say, great, this is where I want to go. I want to go into uh, the carbon space. Well, who are the main investors? Who are the main search people? Who are the people in that space who come from my background so they understand how I might transition? Where are places I can start doing advisory work? Because again, people aren't paid to take risks, right? They're paid to make an easy uh, an easy decision. Did you go advise? And so as you, once you figure that thing out, you really double click on who the decision makers are and then get seen in action. Figure out who can vouch for you and be seen in action. So let's double click into the first one, the point of understanding the feedback um, that the market might have on you. So for clients who have been, this is something that you'd help to gather, uh, which is extraordinarily valuable. But uh, for everybody else, other, uh, what would you recommend? How can people better understand what the market thinks of them? So a clear signal is what do you get calls for today? 
So one of the things we do for our clients, for example, is we track quarter by quarter what they get calls for. It's a pretty simple graph, pie chart, whatever you want to bar. We can build all kinds of fancy charts, but you can see, listen, what you get called for is what the market thinks of you. So you might think you're a COO or a CEO candidate, but actually you're getting calls for CFO roles all the time. Well, that means the market thinks you're a CFO. So one signal is what are you getting calls for? That could be size of company, roles, et cetera. And actually, I mean, we draw it out and map it out and have graphs and all that kind of great stuff. But how does that evolve over time is a great thing to look back on. But first of all, that's one. The market clearly thinks you are X, you are Y. And the second thing is give explicit permission to people to give you direct feedback. People are so scared to get feedback. I want to go back to that again. And whether it's search people, investors, whoever it might be, figure out how to get them comfortable with giving you the full story, that it's okay, like you want it. You know, They're going to show they care about you by actually giving you the real feedback. And that can be really uncomfortable stuff. Don't get defensive. Don't argue it away. Understand it and understand then for the next one how you're going to actually play to that or, 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 or work around that or work through it. But I think those are my main things is one – what do people actually calling you for? And two is find a way to get that direct feedback and do it by giving permission, pushing on it, and, and kind of smelling out, excuse my language, like the BS, right? There's a lot of BS. You can read when it's BS feedback. Get the real feedback. So on the platform today, the types of um, things that you get involved in, what are some of the hardest things to help your clients accomplish? So I, I was thinking about this, it's... Um, Moving away from reactive, taking that step away from the river you're in, we talked about a little bit, and getting honest feedback. I think you've actually hit a lot of it, but I think the I'll, I'll go on the move away from the reactive. I think right now the world of person meets opportunity is super transactional. There's an opening, you scramble to fill it with the best available person who takes your call, you move on. And as an individual on that side, you tend to choose from the best things that come to you rather than seeking building plans to find the best things for you. Right? We often find actually big thing with our clients and can, is is they can convince themselves to want something because they're wanted. And I think, again, I speak, I, I see that more with our female clients than our male clients. Um, and, and I think that's really unfortunate. And so I think building those proactive versus reactive relationship obviously is a big part of that. And actually seeing that as value, even if it leads to nothing. Um, I think two is, um, you know, having a bit of a scorecard, to be honest, you know, what are the two or three things that are must-haves? What are one or two things that are vetoes is really, really important. Again, not just to pick whatever the best thing in front of you is. Um, so moving away from the reactive is one. I think two is that stepping away from your river is hard. It's it's where you are. It's where you make money. It's where you've been successful. You know, we've had just an amazing number of clients actually at the door to becoming CEO, this thing they were pushing for their entire careers, actually say, you know what? I don't want that job. That job sucks for whatever reason, right? And, and that's profound because your whole career, you feel if you take a pause, you're going to fall off the cliff, right? And we've had so many clients and I hopefully it's because they, they feel they have a partner to step out of jobs. You know, before that never happened, you never stepped out of a job. You only stepped out of a job to go to a job and just an amazing number of clients that said, you know what? I'm good. I'm stepping out. Obviously they've got, you know, luxury of being able to afford that. And I'm going to take the time. Um, that's hard. Um, you know, we often have clients talk about the first Monday, the first Monday when, you know, do I shave, don't I shave, do I put on a suit, don't I put on a suit, like that's hard. And so getting people to step away from the momentum they're in and really take a step back of what were their dreams, hopes, everything that they want to be interested in. And then we already talked about, I think the feedback is really important. Getting, getting real honest feedback is incredibly difficult. So which parts of the job of the founder of Banff uh, do you love the most and which ones perhaps you found less exciting? 
I, I mean, this is sound obvious. I love client. I love working for the person, the individual. It's so much fun. You know, it's my first, and I remember I used the, my first 18, the first 18 clients that signed on back in 2020. I had a newborn on one leg, two on the other. My wife was working next door, like, and, and you know, taking a, a swing at this thing. And I had 18 clients that signed up when I barely had a website. And it was my first 18. And what was really awesome and inspiring was these were for all former placements of mine. So I thought I knew them. I didn't know them at all. Um, so the really thing I absolutely enjoy about this business, because we're B2C on this side of the business, and we talk about the platform later, we're allowed in their kitchen. We're really allowed in. And we're allowed in in that trusted, real partnership. And I love that. That's a blast. And I love the fact that we can help them pivot, help them make these decisions, like stepping out of a role they've had for you know, 10, 15 years, that they have the confidence in that. That's a ton of fun. And then quite frankly, the other part, I imagine with most founders you speak to is I just get to go build and try stuff. You know, I came from a big company. It was hard to just try stuff out. I get to try stuff every day. It's a blast. So let's talk about the network more broadly. Um, I think we, we've got a little bit of a sense how you work with the talent side. Um, and then the other talent side is the investors and uh, other partners. Um who are part of BAF. So tell us a little bit about how exactly you work with them, what those partnerships look like, um, you know, what, what types of organizations you collaborate with. Sure. So we made the decision early on that actually we want to make the whole system work better rather than try to cut certain pieces of that out because the whole system actually would help our clients the most. And so that means the search firms, that means the various investment firms, means anyone that influences and is a gatekeeper. And so right now, if you fast forward to today, we've got a private platform. We've got about 240 executive search teams are part of that. We've got about 220 investor teams that are part of that. So private equity, growth equity, venture. And because of the trust they've given us in terms of understanding where they're investing, thematic exploration, their portfolio needs, the search firms, different searches they have going on, et cetera. Um, they've given us a great deal of trust. We see that because of that, we actually have access then for our clients to position them for things appropriately. And so sort of the, the this ecosystem, this back ecosystem we've built is bringing everyone in. I think about you know, the Zillows of the world or Expedia's or some of these others, intermediary businesses where they brought the agents into the platform. We've thought about it very similarly. Let, let's partner with the search firms. Let's partner with the investor teams um, because actually that helps ultimately our clients. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty cool platform, pretty cool system we've built. Um, that's the tech-enabled layer of what we do that allows us to scale because we're able to see you know, what's going on across the market. We're able to provide access for our clients across all these gatekeepers. And, and it's been a blast building that. You've built out a pretty impressive and a, and a very interesting network. It has so many different types of players, uh, and you've done so in a relatively short period of time. Now, I recognize you spent 20 years previously also in the network business, and you probably already knew a lot of people from that. But still, I think it's uh, you know it's, it's super impressive to get to that scale and sort of diversity of the types of participants in such a short period of time. So what are some of your reflections and insights on building networks you know what makes one successful how do you accelerate that um and anything else that you've learned building Banff? i mean this one these are all lessons looking back not at all what i knew at the time i I was really taking a swing um and i give you know a lot of these search investors etc so much appreciation because they trust me so one was it turns out um 
not being an asshole for 20 years in the industry actually was okay. People trust you, right? And so, you know, when we began this and said, we're not going to compete with you, we actually want to, you know, make you look better. So by helping us, we help you, or by you know, helping you, you help us. Um, we've created some pretty awesome, mutually beneficial relationships across all those gatekeepers. Um, and I imagine typical of any other you know, network that someone's built, there were absolutely the early adopters. Um, and that was awesome. You know, I, I just, I'm just so thankful for getting that flywheel spinning and people that trusted me and then us as we grew. Um, we had to keep our bar quality incredibly high. So if we say, hey, listen, so-and-so is a BAMP client, trust me, meet them, that has to mean something. And so therefore, you know, we're invite referral only on the executive side that we, and we keep that bar extremely high. So we've, I think we've built influence by keeping the bar high. Um, we've built trust by not, you know, being incredibly discreet. Um, we create this mutually beneficial sort of environment where we're helping the search firms, helping the investors, and they help us in return. So that works out for everyone. Um, but to be honest, it, you know, the, there's a lot of laggards. I mean, the world of talent is people doing the same thing since the 50s, you know, getting, you know, fees for everything, credit for everything. I think more walls up than down. And, and uh, when we said, actually, we're removing friction, no strings. I don't want to chase credit anymore. I'm just done chasing credit for the rest of my career. And we just want to make this thing flow easy. Um, we were suspicious to many people. I mean, early on, people assumed there must be a catch. There must be something else. Uh, and I think, thankfully, now that we're, you know, a couple of years in, that's starting to, to ease. But um, yeah, we had initial group that got the thing spinning. And, and I think the, the, the quality of the work we've done and hopefully the discretion we provided means that, you know, people get where we sit now. Well, it seems like a pretty good flywheel that you've built there. Um, and the last question is, uh, you are an avid mountain biker. Tell us something about mountain biking that most people don't know. Oh, this will be about my mountain biking. And this is weird as heck. I um, I guess this was born out of COVID where, you know, mountain biking was the only way I could meet up with a friend or two. Um, we had no childcare. I was starting, you know, I had my two startups, Banff and my family as well, like two little boys. Um, and so the only time we could go out mountain bike and the trails were all closed. So we used to go at four, four thirty in the morning back here in the, in the Berkeley Hills behind where I live, the headlamps on and lights and the whole deal. And then somehow I think it's my introvert coming out, it stuck it. So I still mountain bike in the dark in the mornings, um, except, and it's known, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's known amongst my friends that I cannot watch a scary movie the night before I go mountain biking because I get <laughs> horribly scared of noises and that there's zombies in the forest. And I'm not making that up. I've turned around <laughs> so many mountain bike rides because I hear some strange noise, assume it's zombies, I'm heading home. So um, I'm not sure if that's educational to anyone. If you see some crazy guy mountain biking early in the morning, uh, it's not a zombie, it's me. Uh, if you make weird noises, you will turn me around. I will go straight home. Um, but yeah, early morning mountain biking. Well, that, that seems like a great way to start the day. Um, David, it's it's been great to hear some of your insights on the talent industry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Village Global podcast. You can check us out online at villageglobal.vc. We'd love to hear from you, your feedback, your ideas, your inspirations. You can email us at hello at villageglobal.vc.